to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. I'm going to preach today, uh, I know for the last several weeks, actually the last couple months, I've been preaching evangelistically, I know that, and I'm going to do so again today, and I'll quit when the Holy Ghost tells me to stop but I just can't help what God gives me, but I'm just a messenger. I'm just the mouthpiece, but I'm going to preach what he wants me to preach. And so I'm preaching a message today I've entitled, Never Too Far Gone. You'll understand in just a minute. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. And I thank, this is Paul speaking, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Now, that right there is amazing when you read the next line that God would take this cat and put him in the ministry. Read the next line. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. I love this verse. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering patience with us as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Thank you. You can be seated. I just think that it is a marvelous and wonderful thought that Jesus would come into this world to save sinful people. That's a marvelous and wonderful thought, isn't it? I mean, before God created Adam and Eve, he knew that they would blow it in the Garden of Eden. He knew that they would give in to temptation and they would sin and introduce sin into humanity. And, you know, God could have wiped us all out right there. Could have just wiped out humanity and said, I'm done with you, but he didn't do it. Uh, He even carried it out with Noah, but he found eight faithful souls, and he saved humanity and gave humanity another chance with Noah. But wiping us out wasn't God's plan. God had a plan, and his plan was to send his son Jesus to die in our place, to pay the price for our sins, to redeem us from a life of sins. That's why in the Bible, Jesus is called in one place the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before Genesis 1 ever even was written, Jesus was already established and set as the one who would come to die for our sins. And he did it. He did it. At just the right time, God did send Jesus. That's why Galatians 4, 4 and 5 is so pertinent here. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to do what? To redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons or adoption as daughters. That's why John three sixteen and 17 fits here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He sent his son that whosoever believes in him will not perish and spend eternity in hell, but have everlasting life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. We were already under condemnation. 
He sent his son that the world through him might be saved. And so he came. And I was thinking that when Jesus came on his mission, he came with a multifaceted mission. He came to fulfill Old Testament prophecies. He came to shine the light in the darkness, so to speak, by speaking the truth to combat the darkness of deception and deceit and lies of the devil. He came to, uh, to, to, to establish his church. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. He came to reveal the Father to us, to show us what God was like up close and personal. He came to give us abundant life. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So he came to do a lot of things, but the primary reason, the number one reason that Jesus came to this earth was to save sinners. That's why he came. And he said that himself. He said in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Luke 19, 10, he said it this way, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In Mark 2, 17, he said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, Jesus knew his mission. He knew why he was on this earth, and he knew what he was supposed to do. In 1 John 3, 5, John said, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. I was reading this week in Hebrews that the Old Testament sacrifices <clears throat> did not have the power, the capability to take away our sins. The blood of bulls and goats could not take away our sins. But can I just tell you today, Jesus takes away your sin. It's gone. It doesn't matter how many you've committed. They're gone. He removes them. And, and he finds us in our lost condition, and we're not lost anymore, and he saves us. And he, he's paid the price to ransom us from the slave market of sin. He's paid the price and given us liberty and freedom. And you just need to rest assured today, Jesus can deliver you from your sins. Somebody needs to hear that. He can set you free. He can cleanse you from every sin that you ever committed because when he saves you, he makes you good. He, when he saves you, he makes you righteous. And it's not your goodness or your righteousness. It's his righteousness that he gives you. And listen, he does this regardless of your past. If we had a movie camera that could have, been taking shots of everybody in this room of our past before we were saved, and then we played it on the screen. Man, that wouldn't be good, would it? But regardless of your past, he changes you, and all that is nullified. It's erased. He takes away your sin. He takes away your guilt. He takes away the fear. He takes away the shame, and he gives you, he just fills your, your soul with peace. You can have the peace of God when you have peace with God. And he gives you joy. There's just this joy. You don't, it's a joy where you smile, and even if things are bad, you're still full of joy. You don't have to have Jack Daniels or Jim Bean or Budweiser or Miller Lite or Coors or anything else or a drug. You don't have to watch some perverted comedy channel and try to get some filthy mouth comedian 
to get you to laugh. You don't, we don't need that. When you're saved, you have joy unspeakable that's full of glory. It's just because you're right with God. You, you have a smile on your face, and you're full of joy, and there's love. You're just filled with the love of God. People you didn't even like before, now you can love them. It's amazing what he does. It's wonderful when Jesus saves your soul. He changes you. You can actually get along with people. Pastor Terrence, you don't lose your religion on people anymore. Because he changes you. You put up with people. And it's just wonderful when God saves you. It's just the best thing in the world. But I come here this morning with this thought. As true as that is and as wonderful as that is, sometimes the depth of your sin and the longevity of your sin can make you think that you're too far gone to be saved. It's, it's the kind of thing where if I preach like this, that a person in their mind says this, or if they have a conversation with me, it would go like this, Pastor, you don't know how bad I am, and you don't know how bad I've been, and you don't know what I've done, and you don't know how many times I've done it, and I have a record and I've been arrested, and uh, I, I slept with this many people, and, and I've been unfaithful to my wife or husband, and I've, I've stolen, and I've done things for so long. I mean, it's just ingrained in me, and I have a reputation. You just don't know how bad I am and how many people that I have hurt. Do you know how many people I have been vicious to, Pastor? You don't understand it, this, this thing goes back a long ways, and I'm ashamed of my past. God can't save me. I'm too far gone. But let me tell you today, that's a lie of the devil. If, if anybody can be too far gone, then God's not God. Paul uses himself as an example of how God can save the worst of the worst. Because he was the worst of the worst. He describes himself as the baddest of the bad and the worst of the worst when it comes to sinners. He said, Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I'm head of the line. I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm, I'm at the top. I'm the, I'm the worst that you could have. And then he describes or characterizes his life of sin. And he uses three categories. He First of all, he said, I was a blasphemer. A blasphemer. Now, when you blaspheme, you say stupid and hurtful things about God and stupid and hurtful things about Jesus and stupid and hurtful things about the Bible and the teachings of Christ, and you say stupid and hurtful things about God's people. You know, we've got right now in America, I'm going to bring current events in just to make a point. We have uh, right now uh, Amy Coney Barrett, who's been nominated by the president to be on the Supreme Court. Now, whatever happens is going to happen, and I'm not here to talk politics. I'm here to talk Jesus. But I don't know if Amy Coney Barrett is born again. She's a Catholic. However, she is part of a group that is charismatic. Hello, charismatic Pentecostal people here this morning. So that's interesting. It, it makes me think that if you're charismatic and in part of an organization where they speak in tongues and operate in the gifts, you know, we evangelicals and Pentecostals know you got to be born again. That's the starting point. Okay, but already, and that poor woman who looks like 
seems to be a very professional, wonderful, reputable woman, but she is about to go through it and get ready because it's very possible they're going to be attacking her faith. Okay, and I was watching, I was reading the news, there's a, I'm not even going to say his name, but there's a, he's supposed to be a comedian or former comedian, but he's got a talk show uh, that's supposed to be more serious, and he has a liberal bent, and he's, you know, obviously anti-Republican, and he went on and he started saying things about Amy uh, Coney Barrett, and two of the things that he said, uh, he made fun of the fact that she's part of a group that speaks in tongues. So he, he took a shot at that, and then, and then he, um, he 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 called her a some you know made fun of her being a nun you know he a crazy a crazy nun I think he called her, but my point is that's blasphemy. When you start saying stupid and hurtful things about God and God's people and the in the teachings of Christ, that's blasphemy, and people blaspheme all the time. And so here's the irony: is that Paul was a religious person, so he he served. He served Jehovah, but he didn't believe Jesus was Jehovah's son, God's son. And so he blasphemed Jesus, and he blasphemed Jesus' teaching, and he blasphemed uh, the people of God, the Christians. And so he was a blasphemer. But then he said he was a persecutor. And, And if you read what Paul did, Paul attacked people, Christians like us, verbally and physically. And he had them arrested and imprisoned, and he even had some of them killed. So let me just help you here with the guy that wrote half of the New Testament. Prior to his conversion, he was a murderer. And he murdered Christians. Okay? And so so that was who Paul was. And then the third way he describes himself is that he was insolent. insolent. An insolent person is a viciously arrogant person. Viciously arrogant. So have you ever met or do you work with someone who is just mean and cold-hearted and ruthless and they're also arrogant and proud and haughty and they brag about all that they do and then if you push them the wrong way, they will just bite your head off and they will attack you. That, that That was Paul. And how many of you know people like that are despicable? Okay, so they're like despicable. Paul was despicable. Paul was unlikable. You would have just not liked Paul before he got saved. And and when you meet people like that today, you know, those are the kind of people that you just want to go up and punch them. Right? Okay? I know you weren't ready to hear your preacher say he wanted to punch somebody. But people like that, you just, you have to fight your sanctification because you just want to go up and cold cock people like that. Because they're just asking for it. It's like their words and faces just hit me because I am despicable. Come on, I know y'all are holier than I am, but I'm just preaching where we live, right? Okay, and if you work with people like this or you have a family member like this, you know who I'm talking about, and they always cause trouble at Christmas, and they always are stirring up at work. Come on, somebody. Okay, that was Paul. And Paul, Paul, and yet, like I said, he was religious, so he would... He would cover up all that with religiosity, but it wasn't, it wasn't God religion. He wasn't saved. He was a horrible, horrible sinner. And by the way, let me just talk to all y'all. The plural of y'all is all y'all. So all y'all southern people, all of us southern people, listen, just because you go to church doesn't mean you're saved. 
Okay, I, and I, that's a thing down south is we think that if people go to church, if we can get people to church, then that'll fix it. But going to church won't fix it. Jesus fixes you. Salvation fixes you. The gospel transforms you. You can go to church and do all the churchy things and still be a hellion. I've known people that went to church that were heathens, that lived in sin and practiced sin. So we don't need more church. I want them in church, but we need more Jesus. And said, so, well, should I invite them to church? Yeah, but we get them to church, not so then they can now be a sinner. Before they were a sinner outside of church. I don't want them saying, okay, now I'm a sinner that goes to church. I want them to come to church and get under conviction and get saved and be changed by Jesus Christ. And so Paul was that kind of person. He was, he was uh, and he said, I did it because I was ignorant. He said, I didn't know better. I was ignorant about Jesus, and, and I didn't understand it. Satan had blinded him. But one day, God opened his eyes on the road to Damascus. And he's on his way to Damascus, and he's going to persecute the church. And while he's on his way, this light shines from heaven, blinds him, and uh, it's, it's funny. God had to blind him so he could see. And he blinds him, and he's, and he's sitting there, and he hears a voice from heaven. It's Jesus, and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And by the way, if you ever are living for the Lord, you're serving the Lord, and you suffer blasphemy and reproach, Jesus takes it personally. He didn't say, why, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? He said, why are you persecuting me? So when you attack a believer, you're attacking God. And Saul said, who are you? See, he was ignorant. Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, who you are persecuting. You're not persecuting my church. You're persecuting me because the church is me. And he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he went to Damascus, and God dealt with his heart. And that old rough, tough, mean sinner who had imprisoned Christians and attacked good people. I mean, when you're mean when you attack good people. Mean people take advantage of, of nice people. And that's what he was. He was a mean man that took advantage of good people and tried to hurt good people. Now, you're mean. That's, that's about as low as you can go in sin. And God took that man and convicted him and saved him and changed his life, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ and, and, and did a mighty work in his life. And the God that he once, the Jesus he once despised, he believed in, and he was gloriously saved. And Paul says that God worked in him to show you that he's patiently putting up with you. Do you know if you're in sin right now, you could be dead and in hell right now? Let's just go ahead and say it. You could be dead and in hell right now. But God has given you another chance. God has let you live, and God is, is putting up with your sinfulness. He hates your sin, but he loves you. But he's putting up with it, not because he condones it, but because he's trying to give you another chance to get saved. And he loves you in spite of your sin. He's being gracious to you. And you may be saying, but pastor, can God really save the worst of sinners? Well, Paul actually answers this, and I did not read it. And I hope you still have your Bible in front of you there. I want you to look at verses 9 and 10 of your Bible. That's why you should bring your Bible to church in a Bible where we preach the word. Always have your Bible. So look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. It's not on the screen, but I'm going to show you. In those verses, Paul gives a list of who's who of sinners. 
It's a list of the who's who of the worst of sinners, okay? And, and he does this to make a point, and I'm going to help make his point, and his point is, is that God can save anybody. So here's his list. He says, God, basically, God can save lawless people. Lawless people. Now, let me just explain lawlessness. The law tells us how to live. The law. So if you have civil laws, we know what those are. They help us to function in an organized manner and in a legal, lawful manner within society. We have laws. All these people that are rioting and looting and burning and in the streets of Portland, these cities, their problem is they have become lawless. The law, we say they have laws. Yeah, but if you don't enforce the laws and, and you don't have people who make people stay within the laws, then lawlessness prevails. And the Bible says that lawlessness is sin. So when you are lawless, you're going to break the law and do what's wrong. There will be civil disobedience. God has given us his moral law, and when you ignore the moral law of God and do your own thing, then that's lawlessness. You're living as if there is no moral law. I'm just going to live the way I want to, and that always results in sin. But guess what? God can save people like those rioters and looters and those people who are wreaking havoc and chaos in our nation right now and in those cities God can save them. He said that God can save insubordinate people. And all the military people, if you've been in the military, you know what insubordination is. That's a very serious offense when you refuse to submit to the authority that is over you. But that's a problem we have right now in this nation. We're fighting the authority. Whether it's from the president down, the governor, whether it's in the churches, there is in our land a spirit of insubordination. And we, we're telling people, you're not going to tell me what to do. And we don't want to be under submission to those who God has put over us. And by the way, there are three levels. There is the church, there is government, and there's the home. And with each of those institutions that God has established, you have leadership. That's why the Bible says that we are to be, we are to be subordinate, submissive to the higher powers. You're supposed to submit to the government authorities. You're supposed to submit to the church authorities. You ought to submit to the, the spiritual authority in your home, which hopefully is a godly father. But if it's not, then it's a godly mother. Sometimes it's a godly grandmother, grandfather. Okay? And so, but here's the thing. People that are insubordinate, don't tell me what to do. You're not going to tell me what. I'm going to do my own thing. And they're, they're wreaking rebellion and, and, and havoc. Guess what? God can save those people. God saves ungodly people. The word mean means like. So if you're ungodly, that means you are not like God at all. But God can save people who are not like him at all. And then he can save people that are unholy and profane. I'm giving you the list now. It's in verses 9 and 10. Unholy and profane. So unholy people are people that are not set apart from sin to God. They are still steeped in sin and away from God. They're separated from God, and they're just committing every kind of sin in the world. So this sort of covers everything. And profane people are people. Have you ever met anybody that has no sense of the sacred? They don't, they, they don't bow their head when you pray. They, they, they make fun of spiritual things. They're like totally clueless. There's nothing about them that has any kind of reverence or respect, that's a profane person. Everything's common to them. They don't understand what the, what the people back in the day the, the, used to call the enchantment with God. We need an enchantment with God, and that's not in a, not in a fantasy enchantment. It's in, that word in its fullest sense means where you are just, you are overwhelmed. Back in the old days, they would say that God is awful. 
Well, well that'd be terrible today to say God's awful. But it's, but it's not, we, we use awful in a bad way. But back in the day, back in the old times, when you would say God is awful, it means God is full of awe. He just, you're just overwhelmed by him. You know, there's a reverence there. But people who have no reverence for God, they're profane. But yet, listen, God can save somebody like that. God can save, now, now watch it. Now it, now it gets, now it gets a little more specific. He says God can save people who murder their parents. This is in the Bible, by the way. Now you're going, okay, wait a minute. Somebody who kills their parents, God can save them? Yep. And then he said God can save somebody who murders anybody. And, and, and you're going, really? Yep. God can save a murderer and make them a child of God, just like you and me. And then he says God can save fornicators. And that just covers every kind of of illicit sexual activity. Just whatever it is, that cover, it's a blanket. And then he adds this one. He said, God can save homosexuals. And then this is the one that I, I have to go, ooh, help me, Jesus. God can save kidnappers. I, I'm just preaching from the Bible. Are you looking at verses 9 and 10? I'm not, it's not on the screen, but it's in your Bible. He can save kidnappers. <laughs> now, I personally have, a, I have a, my own philosophy, an idea about what should be done to somebody who kidnaps somebody. And I'm not talking about a long, drawn-out legal process either. We take care of it in about five minutes. You kidnap somebody's child, I can only imagine what that would be like. Or you kidnap a person for ransom and you hold it, there'll be swift judgment if, if, if I were king. If I, if I were king, you know, I'm having a little Wizard of Oz moment right there. But but God is not, I'm not God, and I'm not king. And what is amazing is that the grace and the long-suffering of God is that God would save a kidnapper. I know this is not the kind of preacher you get a lot of amens with, don't really care, because right now we're all trying to process this. And then he said God will save liars and perjurers. Now, my mom's not here today, but my mom, I've heard my mom say this. I've quoted my mom many times. She may not even know I quoted her. My mom used to say, if, you, if a person... A person alive do anything. I, I, if you lie to me, you, you are not on good grounds with me. Tell me the truth. I used to tell my boys when they were at home, don't lie to me. Tell me the truth. It'll go a whole lot easier for you. But if I find out you lie to me, woo. And I'm not going to tell you which one had more trouble with that than the other one. Because he's tired of me, us preaching about him from the pulpit. He and his mother are laughing real good for those of you watching online right now. But if you lie, you'll do anything. You can't trust a liar. But God can save a liar. God can save a perjurer. That's the other word he uses. Perjurer is the same thing. But similar. The point is God can save anybody. So I came here today... To simply say this, you may be far away from God today, but you're never too far gone to be saved. Because if you are, then God's not God. But he is God. And he's reaching out to you right now through this sermon, through this message. 
He's extending to you another chance. He's extending his grace. He's extending his love. He's extending his mercy. And so my challenge to you is this. Leave your life of sin and be saved. You don't have to live like this. You can be free. doesn't matter how long it's been and how deep it's been. You can be saved. And you can be free. And you can live for Jesus. You can know what it's like to have real purpose and real joy and real peace and abundant life. See, the world... I added this to my notes this morning as I was just finishing up, just not finishing up, but I was reviewing. I, I really felt prompted in my spirit. The world that we live in, this world system which is controlled by the devil, the world wants to make excuses for your sinfulness. and this, The world wants to condone your sinfulness. And the world will accept your sinfulness. And the world says, hey, don't worry about it. You need to accept it and, and, and realize it's okay. But the world is wrong. The world doesn't have your best interest in mind. The world doesn't care about you. God's way is the only way. You confess your sins and you believe in what Jesus did and you trust in his work on the cross and you ask him to forgive you of your sins and you repent and you turn from your sins and you turn to God and God saves you and he changes your life. And it's wonderful. And you're in right relationship with him and you receive the gift of salvation. That's what Paul did. And that's what he'll do for you today. I'm going to close with this. I think it's amazing that God took a blasphemer and a persecutor of the church and turned him into an apostle of the church. Is that hilarious or what? Took the guy who tried to, the guy spent part of his life trying to destroy the church and God saved him and he spent the rest of his life trying to build the church. You know what that tells me? God doesn't just save you from sins. God saves you to purpose and life that is higher than anything you were ever doing back here. Where now you were fighting, where you were fighting him, now you're working for him. Now you're working with him. And I just, I just want somebody to hear me right now, whether it's online or in this church. This is amazing. When God saves you, you will do things for him you never imagined. Paul traveled all over the world and preached the same Jesus that he despised that now he loved, preached him everywhere, and then he got persecuted. He suffered greatly for Christ. He took it because he said, man, after what I've dished out, I deserve this. I deserve this, but I deserve it for Jesus. Jesus deserves me, suffered for him. Wrote half of the New Testament. I mean, would you ever thought that God would take that guy and he'd give us half of our New Testament Bible? He just, if you looked at him before he got saved, you said, there is no hope for this cat. Somebody needs to take him out back and shoot him. Put him out of our misery. But see, that's, that's why we're not God. God doesn't shoot us. God doesn't take him out back. God just keeps working on him and says, I'm going to keep working on you and putting up with you. And I love you. And if you'll let me, I'll change your life and you'll do things you can never imagine. And you know, all these things that you do for God, you don't do it to atone for your sin. Jesus already took care of that. You do it because you love him and because you want to bring glory to him and because you're just grateful. I'm going to close with this. You can just start playing. Um, I, spent, I spent a while, you know, I'm a, you know, I was a good communicator. You need a good story here. You got to get a good story. You reel them in with a good story, see, if you're a communicator. I couldn't find a story. I couldn't think of a story. I've been sick. I've been on medication. I can't think straight all week long. And actually, it took getting into the last service.
for me to, the Lord just brought something to my mind. Because one of our elders was sitting down here in the front row. And the Lord said, tell, tell your church about their elders. So if you got all of our elders in a room, I think there's like maybe one that wasn't a heathen. But every he, just about every elder we have in our church, they were heathens. Because when I, when I interviewed them, I wanted to know their testimony, and they told me their testimony. And every time they tell me their testimony, I thought, good Lord, they were heathens. I just think it's great. Because when you think of elders, you know, Pastor Billy, you think of these godly men who are, who've just lived this wonderful life, all their life serving the Lord. Talk like this and say, brother, sister. Right? We get this image of the elders. And maybe there are churches where the, and, and we do, we've got one of our elders that he's, and they're all godly men and he's, he's, he's the oldest elder and we all kind of look up to him and he's, you know, he got saved when he was 21, so he wasn't, he, but man, the rest of them, they said things and did things that they lived in lives and they, they, oh, they got some deep testimonies. I just think it's awesome because they're the elders. They're your elders in this church along with the pastors. We're elders. And, and these men, they understand the grace of God. They understand what it's like to be the bad and God still love you anyway and save you anyway and change you anyway. They're, they're the examples of how God can take some men who just lived. Woo! I mean, some of their stories I couldn't tell from the pulpit, y'all. I mean, some of the stuff that I just couldn't tell from the pulpit. But they, they walk among us. They live among us. They're our brothers. They're our friends. And they're our examples. And if God can save them, He can save anybody. So I want you to stand with me this morning. I want to ask you when you do to bow your head and close your eyes. With every head bowed and every eye closed, and for those of you at home or wherever you may be watching online, listen to me. This is a serious moment. This is a critical moment. This could be a life-changing moment. I have preached the gospel. I have preached to you how God can save anybody, the baddest of the bad, the worst of the worst. You may be here this morning and you, you know, I wondered, maybe I got sick last Sunday so I would preach this message this Sunday. I think like that. So, so maybe, Pastor Billy, maybe it's just this message is the rhema word for right now. I believe it is. So with every head bowed, nobody looking. Would anybody honestly say this morning, Pastor, I am deep in sin. I have been the one that even has thought, not necessarily, but maybe you have thought, I am too far gone. There's no hope for me. That's a lie. There is hope for you. If you're that person and you say, Pastor Chris, I want to get saved. 
I want to give my life to Jesus. Jaron, I'm thinking right now, just keep your head bowed. When my son, my son got away from the Lord, he's got a powerful testimony. One Sunday, I need to just let him get up here and give his testimony. It, it'll, it's powerful. But the morning he got saved in Harrisonburg, Virginia, Memorial Day weekend, came back to the Lord. We went to a little Church of God church, had about 30-some people in it. Jaron probably, I don't know if it had that many. And that preacher preached that morning. He said, don't let your sins and your life or the past hold you back from what Jesus wants to do in your life. And I remember that morning, son, he preached and talked about it. He said, you wouldn't have liked me when I was a sinner. Boy, he just spilled his, he spilled his beans. He told the kind of, he said, I'd lie to you. He just, he told all these things. He said, but God saved me. And he said, I don't look back anymore what I used to be. He said, I look at who I am now in Jesus Christ. Somebody needed that right now. If you're here and you say, Pastor, that's me. I want to get saved. I want to, I want to get free. I want to get out of this deception. I know that God can save me. I want to get saved. I want you to raise your hand. Quickly, just raise your hand. Hold it up if you need to be saved. Anybody in this church, raise your hand. Hallelujah. Come on, I'm just going to give you a moment. Come on. It's just you and me. Nobody's looking. It's just you and me and God looking. Anybody in this house? I'm looking. Then that means one of two things. It means everybody here is saved, or it means somebody's just not going to raise their hand. And the latter is probably the truth. It also means that somebody watching right now online, this could be one of those Sundays where even though we got people in a building, somebody out there watching right now, it might even be you're watching a recording later in the week, but that means this message is for you. So I'm going to pray with you. And if you're in this house and you're not saved and you were afraid to raise your hand, but you still want to get saved, we're going to pray. Now, you need to pray and confess your sins and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Come into my heart. Be my Savior. That's all you have to pray. But I want this church to just join me with me right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity to preach this message. And I came here today with absolute confidence that you have given me the word that needed to be preached. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for what Jesus did dying on the cross. I thank you, God, that the blood of Jesus is the power to cleanse away every sin. And I pray right now, God, if somebody in this house needs to be saved, that they'll get saved. And if somebody watching right now live needs to be saved, that at home or in a motel room or in a car, wherever they are, that, God, they'll pray and say, Lord, please forgive me, and their life will be changed. Their life will be gloriously changed. It's happened before, God, and I I trust it's going to happen again. Somebody's watching a recording right now that, God, wherever they are, they'll pray. Maybe they're on the job site. They'll just go off by themselves somewhere and say, Jesus, forgive me and come into my heart. Be my Savior and Lord. Save the lost right now, I pray, God. May their lives be gloriously different forever and ever because it's wonderful when Jesus saves us. It's life-changing. Never be the same again. Hallelujah. We walk in relationship with you now and forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.